And the church said, you may be seated. Thank you, Kyle, and those who have led us in our worship today. So I want you to think about the life of Jesus. And as you go through the gospel story, you see one account after another where Jesus is always with people. He's helping people. He's touching people. He's healing people. He's praying for them. He's meeting their needs. And what he's doing more than anything is he is putting himself where they are. That's compassion. He's placing his life where they are. And as he's being compassionate about that, He's striving to teach them to enter to where he is. In the songs that we have sung this morning, did you catch the phrase, Lord, have your way in me? What a prayer to pray every day that regardless of what we strive to do, the bottom line is, Lord, we want you to have your way in me, in us, in my life, and through our life. And so as we're in the midst of this 30-week journey, we're going through the top beliefs and practices and virtues of Christianity as we strive to think and act and become more like Christ every day. So compassion is kind of like last week's topic of humanity. It might at first seem a little confusing as to why this is a foundational belief because when you think about it, compassion sounds more like it might belong in the practices because it is something that you go out and do. You're just more compassionate with people and it's acts of compassion or virtues, it's something we are. We're compassionate. And sometimes it's easier to think of it that way rather than a key belief. But I want you to go back to last week's theme. Really what we're talking about again is this root belief that produces the fruit within us, but we can't just will that into being. We don't just become more compassionate by trying harder and by working harder. We don't do that, do we? Somewhere along the line, we've got to realize we can work harder and we can try harder, but guess what? We're still not going to be good enough. But His grace says you are good enough. His grace says about the time that you've worked so hard that you think, I just can't do it anymore, Grace says you don't have to. Grace says, I've got you covered here. We need to live in the grace of God. Amen? And when we live and place ourselves within the grace of God, we will become more gracious individuals. But it begins with understanding how God sees and treats humanity. 
And then as we take it a step further to what we believe, then that is our responsibility in the light of that truth. And so we identify ourselves as children of God, as believers in Christ, and we're part of His family, the church. And so if that is true, then the attitude of our hearts should reflect the attitude of our Father's heart and, listen to this, His heart is filled with compassion. And so the question before us today is simply this. Is my heart filled with compassion? That word compassion, as it's used in Scripture, means this. To be moved inwardly. To yearn with tender mercy. To have affection and pity and empathy. It refers to the deepest possible feelings. You know the phrase, moved with compassion? That means to be moved within the inner organs. I know you really don't want to hear that before you go eat lunch, right? But that's what it means. You are moved within the inner organs. You are moved within everything that you are. All of your being is moved, and it ha has that same expression from the bottom of my heart. Someone has defined compassion as this. Sympathy coupled with a desire to help. It's the capacity to share feelings, to enter into the same feelings, to feel the same thing. And so compassion is sharing the feelings of others and possessing a desire to help them in their trouble. And I want to show you a beautiful scripture. I want to remind you of one. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to find verse 3 and listen to Paul. As he is describing the God of all comfort, he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. We've been comforted not just for us, but we've been comforted, so in return, we with compassion can comfort other people. And when we do that, here's the idea behind that. We are passing strength that God gave to us, and we're passing that strength on to somebody else. So you take the Peace family, for example, this morning, as we sympathize as we place ourselves where they are this last week and as where they are right now in their life, they are grieving. Yes, they're celebrating because of a life well lived, but they're also grieving. Their heart is heavy. And so we place ourselves with that, and as we do that, we strengthen them. Why? 
because all of us have been strengthened by God, and so we pass that strength on to somebody else. Even as believers, we do that. Now, you think about what that looks like as compassionate people, and as you place yourself into the life of someone that's not a believer, and you're sowing compassion, and you're sowing help, you think about the impact that your life can have on somebody else's. And when you stop and think about that, it's not by accident. Is that not what Jesus did in his life? Did he not place himself, did he not place his life, his whole being, into the life of other people? And as he did that, guess what? Not by happen chance, not by luck, by blessing, they realized he has something that I don't. And I want that. I need that. And we see more and more people placing their faith and their trust in Jesus to become believers. But that happens when we see that compassion is not just something we do, it's not just something we are, but it is something that just overtakes our whole being. Why? Because that's exactly the kind of life that Jesus lived. And not only do we believe that, not only do we buy into that, we put it into practice. And I'm going to show you a text this morning that gives us that example. So when you go through a brief study of the Gospels, it reveals the truth that Jesus' compassion knew no boundaries. So just briefly, I want to walk through with you how Jesus felt the need of all kinds of people, of all kinds of people in different classifications as we look at it today, okay? And so here's what he did. He feels compassion for the scattered ones. I'm encouraging you to take notes if you want to go back later and look at these scriptures for sake of time this morning. I'm not going to go read all of those because I want to focus on, a, on another particular passage in a minute. But I want you to really key in on Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But then he also feels compassion for the sinning, Mark chapter 5. He feels compassion for the sick. Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 20, Mark chapter 1. It could be sickness of all kinds, okay? He also feels compassion for those that are suffering. How many times throughout the gospel story do you see Jesus kneeling down and helping those that were suffering from all kinds of evil spirits, of all kinds of diseases, of all kinds of sickness? What does he do? Again, he enters their life. He takes empathy, he takes sympathy on that person or that family, and he enters in to their well-being. He goes beyond the surface. We'll come back to that in a moment. He feels compassion for those that are seeking. Now, here's my question. Why was Jesus able to do this to so many different kinds of people in so many different settings and situations. Because Jesus, even though he knew their faults, he did not let that get in the way of his compassion and his expression of his love. 
he did not look just at that which was on the surface. He was able to look at these people and see their deepest need. So, maybe sometimes the saying is true, we know too much. Maybe we know too much about somebody. And maybe that's what's keeping us from getting involved and helping them in their life. Now, it's easy to do that if it's a good situation, right? But folks, let's be honest. Sometimes do we make a mess out of life? Do we? Yes. So when life is messy, huh, I've got to stop and think about that for a minute. When life is messy, do I really want to get involved? What would Jesus say to that question? Absolutely. You know why? Because in his heart, he looked beyond the surface of the things and he got to the heart of the matter. I'm challenging us today as we strive to become more like Christ, look beyond the surface and get to the heart of the matter. Look beyond the surface of what may be going on in someone else's life and get to the heart of the matter what really needs to take place. Place yourself as Jesus did in that person's life. Now find Luke chapter 10 and go down to verse 25. How do we see people? When you turn to Luke 10 and you start this parable of the Good Samaritan, loving our neighbors is obviously a pretty big deal to Jesus. Because in the story, the command to serve others ranks right next to the instruction of loving God. One of the things I love about this passage, Jesus is having fun with this story because he is getting right to the point with the religious folks who had been missing the point. And they made, I don't know if you want to call it a mistake or what, but they made this idea of, hey, we're going to come ask Jesus a question. And folks, listen, when you ask Jesus a question, you better get ready for the truth. You better get ready for it to hit right between the eyes, right? And so this teacher of the law, this expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question, right? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord the God with all your heart, soul, strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You're right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. And so the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, passed him by, and a temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there. But what does he do? He must have been watching. He passes by too. 
And so then this despised Samaritan comes along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. What did he do? He had to place himself where this guy was. Okay? How easy would it have been for him to think, now, you know what? This guy's hurt. He's messed up. It's going to take time. And typically, what do we say as an excuse a lot? I just don't have time. I just didn't have time to help. Maybe what we need to do is rearrange our schedules so that we have time to meet the needs of other people. That's the kingdom way of living, isn't it, church? And when you do that, you're entering into the life of somebody else that could just make all the difference in the world. And so the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. So, the hero of the story that Jesus tells is someone that the listeners hope would never be their neighbor. Okay? And Jesus gets right to the point, and he says, guess what? Expert in the law, the hero is the Samaritan. He's of questionable birth, parents not of the same nationality, didn't come from the right neighborhood. His spiritual credentials were suspect. Certainly didn't attend Sabbath services. His moral character was considered absent. But yet notice the not-so-subtle implications that Jesus makes as he tells this story. And I believe he tells it with the hope of uncovering hypocrisy, of exposing the selfishness that sometimes is present in our life, and bringing the listeners, then and now, to a place where we say, oh my goodness, look what I need to do. Oh my goodness, this is not the life that I'm living. I need to make a change. What do we call that in Scripture? Repentance. We come face to face with the life that we may be living. We realize it's not the life that Jesus has called us to, but because of his grace and his mercy and his love, what does he allow us to do? Change. Last time I checked, every day of our life, we all, as believers, need to change something, don't we? We need to change our heart. We need to change our attitude. We just need to change. 
God allows us to do that. And so this man goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Could be anybody. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Saw the man, passed by on the other side. Vision's good. He saw, but his compassion, pathetic. It was poor. Okay? Levite came by the same place, saw, passed by. Levite was afflicted with the same disease as the priest. They had eyes to see, but no heart to care. And they both just went on because they didn't want to be put out. They didn't, want to have, they didn't have time. And then comes the Samaritan traveling. He saw. And he stopped. And he had compassion. He went. He treated. He transported. He provided care. He gave. He followed up. And what does all of that take? A lot of time. So, trying to say, I don't have time, is not going to cut it in the kingdom of God. Sorry, but it doesn't. Now, we've all said that, we've all been guilty of that, but what we do is we go back and we look at our life to see what needs to change so we can have the time. Amen? And it gets real quiet. People all around us are half dead. We can choose to pass by on the other side, just like two of the three in the story did. But when truth moves from head to heart, it's called compassion. You can know what you need to do all day long, but until you do it, it's not compassion. We've got to be more empathetic. We've got to be helpful. We've got to expand this idea of neighbor from the people next door or down the street to anybody in need. Whether it's somebody in this room or somebody in our community or somebody you work with, whoever. Broaden the horizons, folks, and see people. See all people, humanity, as they really are, souls that need to be reached. And so, the moral of the story, as writer Reggie McNeil says, is this. We have to get off our donkey to help somebody. And it's pretty biblical. If you look down in verse 34... Look at what he does. He went to help and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. So to put somebody on your donkey, what do you have to do first? You've got to get off of yours. And here's what happens. It's a call to action, this story is. I mean, maybe we can't change the world, but maybe you can change your street. We may not be able to change the graduation rate 
but maybe we can mentor one kid from becoming a high school dropout. Wiping out hunger and poverty may be a pretty daunting task, but packing a lunch for a hungry person on a weekend is a place to start. And all of those things are happening in our community. And a lot of you are involved in it. Packing a lunch, sending food home to children who are hungry. You know this. I don't have to say it, but I'll remind you. Most of the kids in our school system today, they get the hot meal at school. And that's it. As Christians, we show compassion and we strive to make a difference with that, right? And it starts, don't look at the big picture, look at the smaller one. Pack a lunch, send some food, start easy, but it makes a difference. So if enough of us would get off our donkeys and determine to be part of the solution to address other problems, we can take care of more people. And so this morning, the invitation is not to just a life of service. I think it's a challenge to believe that we'll get a life through service. And there's a big difference. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to be moved, to be more compassionate, and to place ourselves where you did, in the lives of other people. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to start over, to do better, to be closer to you. It's through Jesus we pray and all the church said, and we stand at this time to sing.